You ready? I'm ready. All right, let's go. Hello, Ukramedia family. Vladimir Praknevsky here, and welcome to another episode of the Ukramedia podcast. And today's guest is my brother, Dmitry Praknevsky, the creator of the Learn Motion Design Workflow course. Dmitry is an experienced motion designer with well over 400 completed projects for brands like Procter & Gamble, Nationwide Insurance, and Honda. And in this episode, Dmitry shares five actionable steps that will absolutely help you navigate through motion design projects like a Pro, saving you from common hurdles like creative blocks, client miscommunications, excessive revisions, and more. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Dmitry Proknevsky. Enjoy! So excited about today's guest. It's my brother Dmitry, the creator of Motion Design Workflow. We're going to talk about that later. And he's joining us from Columbus, Ohio, where it's so flat. You can watch your dog run away for three days, possibly even four days if the cornfields are not in the way. That joke is never getting old. And speaking of Ohio, hey, by the way, I have a fun fact. You may not know this, Dima, but Ohio didn't officially become a state until 1953. Did you know that? I did not know that. It was declared a state in 1803, but didn't get the presidential stamp of approval until President White Eisenhower signed off like in, what is it, 1953. Wow. What were we we doing up until 1953? Were we just like probably too busy working. I don't know, busy working (laughs) on the fields. I love that. History. You learn history with Ukramedia. That's awesome. Yes. And I was actually very surprised to find that out. But anyway, yeah. so today we're going to talk about your workflow, which is the, the course Learn Motion Design Workflow, which is awesome. We're going to talk about that. But before we talk about that, we got to talk about FIFA. We do. Tell everybody our current standings with FIFA. So you, you and Sergey played FIFA. How's that looking? Sergey is a beast. Um, the record is uh, two wins for him and only one win for me. But just because I think I, I was tiring him out and I beat him just by luck. <laughs> but then you and I played and um, we were a little bit more closely matched. We have a 1-1. You beat me once and I beat you once. Well, I don't know. That second time it was kind of uh, you disconnected at the very end. So I think that... Uh, Maybe it would have been a tie, but who knows? At this point, I'm going to claim a victory. So one-one. You know what that means? Rematch. We need well, to have a third game. Third game. We need to have a tournament. That would we be awesome. Have, Between because yeah. I haven't played Sergey yet, and I have a feeling he's going to beat me because he's really, really, really good. He's just very good, like up top. When once he gets to the box, yeah. he gets very calm, and that's how he was in high school when he played a striker. He was the same way. He didn't really strike the ball super hmm. hard. It's just one of those things where how he plays on FIFA is how he played in real life. Interesting. It's, it's dangerous. Yeah. There's a reason why that man was really good at soccer. So let's uh, let's dive in talking about the motion design workflow. First of all, let's talk about the course for a second. Curious. So this is your first course. Yeah. What was that like? It was it was a great learning experience, and it was also. Um, it, it taught me to to have a lot of respect for people who do courses for a living because it took a lot of work. Uh, I, I probably spent a good year working on this. And if you take this course, you probably won't notice it because it, it's only a couple hours. But just thinking of the content and scripting everything and just making sure everything's flowing. Obviously, I, didn't, I wasn't doing this full time. I would do this after my day job. But it took me about a year to finalize it and, and get it ready to go. So it, it was a lot of work. Do you have any regrets? Do I have any regrets? Um, no, I, I only have a lot of cool lessons that I learned. You know, I feel like I could do it more efficiently next time. 
it was kind of fun actually because we got to collab with uh, uh, I got to collab with my wife Christina. She was actually my DP, my director of photography. She did all nice. the video recording. I was uh, wondering who was doing all that. Yeah, because she's into photography, so she understands lighting. She was helping me set up lighting and all that stuff, and we use her DSLRs to record it. So that girl, man, has a lot of patience because you know how many retakes I had to do for like each video. So she was there with me the whole time. Uh, it was really awesome. So now, some, while it's fresh, you know, you, you just recently published it not that long ago. What yeah. advice would you give to someone wanting to create their own course? Oh, man. Um, I think there's certain things with like experience that you can't pass on. Like you just have to do it and then you'll learn how you work best. But I would recommend a big thing would be to kind of follow a good workflow to put it down on paper first, see if everything makes sense on paper, uh, then uh, go ahead and start creating, you know, more elaborate topics and then recording it. So yeah, take it one step at a time. I think uh, experience will teach you the best. Experience is definitely huge. Now, I'm curious to find out, well, I, technically I, I know why, but uh, people listening to this podcast probably don't know why. Why did you create this course? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you probably heard me complain about this a lot. Yeah. So yeah, I spent a few years in, uh, in motion design. I think I'm, I'm uh, seven years into this right now. And, you know, I, I had a lot of pain points that, that wouldn't go away in my work. I work in a fast paced production environment at a, at a decent sized company. And there's just been certain recurring things in my work because we work with some pretty big clients and basically things that, caused me to work late, things that caused me to cancel on dinner plans, uh, things that just caused me to burn out. Basically, I had a lot of inefficiencies in my workflow and I wasn't, I wasn't enjoying how that was affecting my personal life. I'm big on, you know, on that divide, professional and personal life. I wanted to be home for dinner with my wife and I wanted to have a weekend to recharge, but it seemed like there were moments where uh, a lot of times projects just went off the rails and completely took that away from me where I found myself working more and more and getting way more burnout about my work than I should be. So that was, that was the motive to take a step back and say, Hey, what's going on? Like, what am I doing wrong? Well, what elements can I introduce into my workflow to make me be more efficient? What can I take out of my workflow to make me be more efficient? And that's kind of how this course came about. So what did you learn from this experience? So in that experience, um, I actually got a hold of a book by Michael E. Gerber. It's called E-Myths Revisited. And it's essentially a book for entrepreneurs who are starting businesses. But uh, what stood out to me, what was more important for my purposes, was a startling statistic that he shares. And it's something that you may have heard before. I've heard of this, is that 80% of all new businesses in the United States actually fail in the first five years. So that's a crazy number. But what that I found more... Number. Yeah. But what I found more interesting is the second number that he shared. He actually said that franchises are not included in that 80%. Their uh, failure rate is much, much lower. It's actually only 25%. So all new businesses fail in uh, all or 80% of all new businesses fail in the first five years, while 75% of all new franchises succeed. So it's almost like wow. the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that caused me that caused me to think like, man, what's their secret? What what are franchises doing that other businesses are not doing? And basically, in a nutshell, Michael E. Gerber talks about that in his book, and it's systems. And you know, just to define system is just a system is a workflow that is made up of best practices. And so, 
franchises are built around systems while most other businesses are not. And that systems is what helps franchises be more successful. So, and, you know, like systems is something that I thought could be applied to motion design. Like with any industry, it could help with efficiency and speeding up your workflow and just having a more enjoyable experience. So I started looking at how I can introduce systems into my motion design. But um, before I go into that, if I can actually, I, I want to show an example of how like franchises use systems to help them succeed, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Go for so, it. you know, what's the poster child for franchises? McDonald's, right? Um, mm-hmm. They have 14,000 locations all around the United States and thousands more around the world. And the cool thing is with McDonald's, like regardless how you feel about their food, you can go to an LA McDonald's, order a Big Mac sandwich, and then go to New York a week later, order a Big Mac sandwich at a New York McDonald's, and you'll essentially have the same burger all under like, what, five minutes or something. So they have that much efficiency and consistency because they rely on systems. You know, they don't rely on star employees because it's kind of hard to find star employees when you are that big on that scale in that many different cities and states, uh, they rely on systems. And like, think about, they have a system for everything they do. They have a system for cooking, like how long something has to be on the grill before they flip it, how long the fries have to be in the oil before they lift it. They know how much salt to add. They have systems for, you know, even like their ordering drive-through versus counter in-store orders. They have systems in place. They keep the business running and keep the business profitable. So um, that's really the secret sauce that causes franchises to have that 75% success rate. I mean, think about how much how much headache it saves you. I mean, starting our own business, something that Sergey and I started our own business, man, it would be, would be awesome to have someone telling us. I guess that's why I see the value of business coaches in a way. They, they oh, yeah. know all the systems and they help you get through all that stuff. Anyway, yeah. continue. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and I don't just the way my brain is wired. I like to kind of look at some different industries or something else, and then like see how I can apply it to what I'm doing. And I, uh, you know, I definitely didn't have a lot of systems. So just to give you an example of what like non franchises typically do, what what the book talks about that causes non franchise businesses to go out of business in the first five years. There's this like fictional example that I like to use. Let's say there's a, a new burger place opening in town. It's named uh, Joe's Burger, right? Joe is a is a master uh, grillsman, and he makes the best burgers in town. He's very talented, and so he's not thinking about systems. He's like, hey, I really know what I'm doing. I'm a really good grill master. So you know, and you can translate that to like our industry. It's like me thinking, well, I'm a really good animator. You know. And so Joe thinks he's a really good grill master. He opens up his place and before you know it, he gets busy and he didn't really have a system in place on how to manage all the, all the people that are coming in. So he didn't have the right like inventory in stock. So he had to send some people out of his kitchen to go and like pick up this cheese that he ran out of. But now like the place is closed. So he has to go to another place to get the cheese. And now not only is he shorthanded, now he's 
providing people inconsistent quality because like different ingredients and and then because he has to run around to put out fires some burgers are more burned some burgers are undercooked and there's all these inconsistencies that come because it's all about Joe and his maybe couple employees but there's no system in place to help him take care of all these things to bring consistency and efficiency so this is why a lot of people open up you know like hey uh, people who like baking like I'm a great baker I open up my bake shop and then people get overworked. They end up putting 60, 80 hours a week for Mm -hmm. their place because they don't know anything other than baking uh, a a cake or a pie. And they don't focus on building systems that help them run their their business so that they themselves don't have to burn out. Right. And like I said, that's, I I feel like I was kind of like Joe's burger. You know, I, I was running my work like that. I was running from one fire to the next a lot of projects would go off the rails, you know, clients would do something, would have a last minute request. And I didn't have systems in place to help navigate clients on the best way to, you know, work with me. So it was easy to like, you know, demonize clients like, oh, this is a difficult client. But it was really my fault at the end of the day because I didn't have a good system in place to uh, help them work with me. And so that goes with like, you know, that can be applied to other areas of the work. So basically, I was burning out and this is what led me to kind of take a step back and think, what can I do? What kind of system can I introduce into my work that would help me be more efficient and would help me have that work-life balance uh, that I like? And so basically I just looked at the, the industry and I just picked industry standard practices and I created a really simple five-step system, a workflow that now I use in all my projects and uh, that has been super helpful to me. And so that's why I decided to make this course to bring value to other motion designers who uh, need a little bit more order to their work. No, I love how you talked about Joe's burger. I mean, the guy was talented. He was probably the best burger grill dude in, in the, in the city, but because he didn't have the right systems, the right people, the right things in place, it's sad to see such a talented person, close the doors because what is the statistic? 80% of all businesses within five years close their doors. Yep. That's crazy. But it's not because of talent. It's because of systems. And it's yeah. so true. And running our own business, we're learning all these different systems because automating things, it's, it's all very important. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and dive into your uh, five-step workflow funnel. So what's the yeah. first one on the list? So the first thing that's on the list is discovery. And uh, so this is a lot of times um, where we all begin, right? We need to know what we're doing. And so this is a step where we connect with clients and we just gather information. In the course, I talk about how to create a creative brief questionnaire that you can give to a client that addresses all the topics that you need the client to um, address. Basically, questions that you need to know the answers for so that later on in the project, you're not like freaking out like, oh my gosh, I didn't know the client wanted this to be a 4K video and why why didn't anybody think about that? So just kind of thinking ahead and uh, having a sheet, a creative brief questionnaire that you can go to with every new project kind of guarantees that you're not uh, shooting from the hip and uh, you won't forget something. And what's number two? So number two is ideation. This is what we do with every new project. We think of new ideas. And in this section of the course, I I just describe like best ways to go about to find inspiration, how to gather uh, different things that you can find online even to uh, get inspired and how to use that with a creative brief questionnaire 
to make sure that you're moving in the right direction. And from that, you can create a mood board that you can provide to the client to get their feedback as soon as possible so that they could verify whether or not you are on the right track before you, you know, get too far along in the process. Great. Perfect. And what's number three? Number three is pre-visualization. It's a big word. So oh, we just typically good. call it previs, you know, and previs consists of uh, three things, style frames, storyboards, and animatics. So just to describe previs, it's kind of like when you think about building a house, let's say we're in the, in the building business. So when a client comes to you and says, hey, I want a house built, you don't just start building right away and then uh, wait for them to correct you as you're building. But for some reason, that's how a lot of people in motion design do. They're like, they feel like they understand what the client wants. So they jump straight to animation. They spend hours animating and then they show it to the client, hoping that the client likes it. It's just it's just all by like hope and luck. And then if the client doesn't like it, you're screwed. You have to redo all this work that you've done. And so in like in the building business, people use a blueprint, right? They, they show you a blueprint like, hey, this is what your house is going to look like. And the client approves the blueprint and then the contractor would start building it because otherwise, once the foundation is laid, the electrical, the sewage, all that stuff is built, it's impossible to move even like a small part of the house or to change it in any way because all the heavy lifting has already been done. So Previs seeks to avoid those issues that a lot of motion designers run into by uh, providing clients with style frames and storyboards and animatics. So things that client can again review and give you feedback on before you get too far. And, you know, all throughout this course, I also hit on one other thing that's super important is to engage the decision makers in, in the project. You know, a lot of times people deal with somebody who later on ends up not being the final decision maker. So even if you follow all these steps and you give the mood boards and the style frames and the storyboards and the animatics, to somebody who's working with you, but then later on you find out that this person hasn't shown any of that to the to his boss, to their final decision maker, it could really undo everything. So again, just a, a point to make that um, in working in motion design, we have to engage final decision makers as soon as possible in the process. You know what I like about this funnel is that it's really applicable across the board. It's not just for motion design. I mean, as you were sharing all these different things, it's like, man, in web design and web development, how many hours I would have saved and just unnecessary headache if I just followed those three steps that you already mentioned. So yeah. definitely, I, l I love that it, it goes across all creative fields, really. So what's number four? Number four is production. You know, really, this is the step that shouldn't be too complicated if we did the first three steps right. If we did our discovery right, if we did our ideation right, if we did our previs right. Uh, basically, in this course, I, I just hit up on some um, like basic uh, efficiencies that you can use in After Effects, some quick tips and, um, you know, in terms of using plugins and uh, scripts and stuff like that to help you speed up your workflow. And also organizing your projects is a big big part of this. Uh, in this section, I talk about a good file structure for organizations so that when you come back to this project, maybe a year later, when the client wants to update this video, you're not confused and you're not looking for random files. It's all in the right place. I'm curious, you know, working in graphic design, web design, usually probably three to four people touch the project. What's the average amount of people that touch the you know, work on the projects and in, in where you work, for example? 
because it kind of goes along hand in hand with organization because man there's so many times somebody will pass a project to me and with web design development it was just like you're on these different servers trying to figure out where everything is so organization is clearly important so i'm curious what's the average or how many people touch the project before completion yeah, it's a good point, Vlad. Um, you know, I don't know that that off the top of my head. It, it depends from project to project, but there's definitely a handful of projects that get touched by more than two or three people. Especially, it's those projects that kind of reoccurring projects that uh, we have from some of our more consistent clients. Where, let's say, I made a video one year, then I've archived it, and then I got booked on another job. When the client comes back a year later, I'm working with somebody else, but this other motion designer is available. And so he gets booked on this project. He unarchives it and he has to revise it. And then he archives it after he's done. And then a year later, we're both booked. So somebody else has to touch it. So for those cases, especially when there's a lot of time. So for instance, if I worked on a project and then a week later, somebody else has to pick it up because I'm busy. I can kind of stop by their office and explain them real quick, like, hey, this is what I did. This is what, you know, how things work and it'll be fine. But if it's been a year or two years and you open up a project that several people touched, you may not even remember, even if you're the one that started it, you may not even remember what the heck was going on in that project. So it's right. super important to leave as have, much detail. Yeah. And have consistency of, of file structure and folders. So you're not digging around and wasting time looking for things that should be pretty clearly marked. What about, let's say you're working on the project with multiple people from the get-go. How effective is this system? Like, you know, if you work for by yourself, you have a lot of control. But I guess if you have three people working on it together, like a, a team project, you kind of, in a way, have to take the lead, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we've we've done several big projects with, with teams uh, at my current place. And, you know, it seems like, Sometimes people, whenever you start a big team project, if it's not very common for you to do team projects, there's there's still a lot of time that needs to be devoted to like, oh, okay, so what do we do? How do we how do we work best together? Like, what kind of things can we put in place? So you essentially have to devote some time to figuring out what the heck you're going to be doing. What's your workflow like? How are you guys going to pass back files? So having this workflow that I'm proposing is is already a great thing to have in place because when you go to start a new project, even if it's a team project, everybody knows what is the, you know, the order of things. Everybody knows how things are going to flow and there's no need to uh, waste time. This, this workflow would work wonderfully with a team. And, you know, just like any project, the more people you have, the, the faster and the better it'll probably be. And now since everyone's working remotely, this is probably super helpful, right? Yeah. I mean, there's been, it's been like a wave of all these like good project or good products that are online of like project managements and stuff like that. Your Basecamp, Asana and things like that. So I think there's definitely kind of like an understanding that people have of like, okay, we need to get organized and we need to get our stuff in order. Definitely. Now what's number five, the last one. So number five is revisions. So in my past, revisions were the worst oh, part of any project. Yes. Um, you know, you can have it with clients, you can have in contracts like, well, you have, you know, three revisions. And and even if you have that in place, it, it still creates tensions where if they need to get that fourth revision to be happy, basically it turns out for a lot of projects, it'd be like six, seven, eight revisions and and things get dragged out and it's just, it's a nightmare. But with this workflow, if you have a uh, refined workflow like this, the whole point of this workflow is to save you 
on the revisions. We try to do the bulk of our work in the beginning, in the discovery ideation and previs, where things are really easily tweaked. This is why we push like, hey, make sure the client sees everything in these three first three stages. Make sure the top decision maker sees your storyboard, sees your mood boards that only took you a few minutes to create, but just get their feedback right away so that when you go and sit down and spend several hours animating, that that you're not presenting something totally new and left field to the client that they now have to make a decision on whether or not, oh, well, I like it or I don't like it. At this point, it should be nailed down that, hey, they do like the direction that you're moving and you shouldn't have any concerns other than, you know, tweak this a little bit here, make this a little bigger, make this a little smaller, you know, small changes that shouldn't completely derail you. And even if a client does come back with a huge change that completely is left field, you have these three steps that the client has been approving everything all along. So you kind of have leverage Ah, to say- smart. Yeah, like, hey, you approved that storyboard. Hey, you approved that mood board. It's like, like remember not, stage three, right? Stage yeah. three, you approved it. Yeah, not to be difficult, but to have some sort of leverage. It kind of protects because, you. Yeah, because a lot of times as, as designers, motion designers, anybody like, you know, clients have a lot of power. They're the ones that are paying you. So we typically just take it and take the loss, take the time loss and redo things. But if you can have an honest conversation and actually point to some things like evidence, like, hey, you approved all this. So if you want, I'd be happy to make this huge a revision for you that will take several hours, but I'm afraid we're going to have to like re um, re uh, negotiate in a way. Thank you. Renegotiate uh, our our contract and our agreement because this is something that's totally new. So either way, this workflow helps you go. It either it does two things. It'll either help you work much more efficiently, or it'll protect you for when you do have to put in some extra hours, but then it'll help you get paid. You know what I mean? Which both are great. You know what I like about this? It's kind of like being a chef, right? It would be foolish to try to cook something and not write down your recipe, right? Because you won't have that consistent result every time. So it's like, how did you make this apple pie? Well, I kind of put a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But what I like about it, it's guarantees you a consistent result at the end. And not only that, but you can trust this process. Because a lot of times, like when you start a new project, if you don't have a process in place, a good fun, a good system, you kind of get insecure. It's, I'm talking from my personal experience. You get a little anxious because like, oh, I hope I could be able to pull this off. But if you have a system that you can trust, that's huge. And I remember reading Urban Meyer's book. Do you remember that quote he said about systems? It's like, great coaches have something or good coaches have quotes or something like that, but great yeah. coaches have systems or something yeah, like that. I probably yeah. butchered it. He said like motivational quotes or something. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. But something like that, you, you get the idea, but it, it is so true because it doesn't matter where you go, what environment you're in, you can trust the process and that's mm-hmm. huge. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why these coaches, like you mentioned a coach, like that's why a coach can go from a program to a program or a CEO can go from a company to a company and have a good track record of like, of having success regardless where they go, because they have some tricks up their sleeve. They have a consistent system that they use to help their organization. Well, and think about this when you're meeting with a client, let's say I'm a client and somebody presents this five-step system, like, okay, this is how it's going to go. First step is this, second, this. And let's say they're shopping around trying to see who they want to pick. Of course, they're going to go with you. Who else? Like if you have this system light out and it's like, look, I produce consistent results because I have this awesome system. Yeah. And you walk them through and educate them on the system and they'll love it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you're kind of leading to to this other point that I want to make. In this course, I also talk about, I have a, a bonus section. I talk about case studies. And basically, that's what, what a case study does effectively. It shows off uh, your system. It shows off your workflow. And, you know, just working with, with clients, you know, I've worked with over 115 clients. And I understand that there's a little bit of anxiety, you know, uh, if, if they're just like a business owner coming to you, it's their money that they're paying you to make something. So they want to know that you, they want to make sure that you succeed and you do everything right. Or like, even if they're working for a big corporation, they're like a creative director or whatever, it's still their name on the line with their boss. So this is why a lot of clients kind of get micromanaging and stuff. They're just anxiety. They're like, hey, I'm working with you for the first time. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know if you're going to do a good job or not. So I don't trust you. And they get controlling. But if you can show in a, in a case study, you can show that you have a consistent system that produces a consistent, successful result. And you can show examples of projects where you did that. Me as a client, I feel at ease. Like I can trust huge, you. I can yeah. I can put my hands off the wheel. I'm like, okay, you're a professional. You know what you're doing. And you it know, takes away as, fear. Yeah, and as a client, I'd probably pay you more for that too. But you know, I'm partial. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. But it does take away fear. And in business, everyone always says like, hey, if you can somehow figure out a way to take away the fear from the customer, you got it. That's why they have the 30 days money back guaranteed, mm-hmm. whatever, anything you can throw in to take away the fear, you're that much closer to sealing the deal. And I think that is the system that will take away the fear from the clients because yeah. everybody understands that systems are important and the process, how you get from point A to point B, there's, you know, there's, it's not just madness that there is something to the to all of that you know because a lot of times you meet with some creative and they're showing their stuff and it's inconsistent some projects are amazing some projects are off and this is the way to become consistent and consistency is everything you know do you want a kicker that is amazing it can kick from like 60 yards but inconsistent or do you want Mm -hmm. a guy who can kick consistently for 40 yards i mean you if i'm a coach i want a consistent one right yeah and this is i think it all boils down to professionalism professionals are consistent. Professionals understand that things uh, operate on on budgets and deadlines and you have to meet both. And if you can show in a case study that you have a system that helps you accomplish both things, you just come off way more professional. Like you said, there's a lot of creative snowflakes out there that can do something really cool, but you don't know how long it took them and you don't know, uh, you know if that's the only cool thing they made and everything right. else is not as cool. So this kind of helps show that you have a track record that people can trust. Man, I love how you say that there are people out there who have great work, but it's not like they told you like, look, I, I did this in three hours. Maybe they spent like a year working on this thing, right? Yeah. And you have a tight deadline. Pff, good luck getting amazing result from that person, right? Without That's any right. kind of system in place. That's huge. And even like working, you know, editing the podcast, like lately I had to sit down, actually after your course, I had to sit down and figure out a system. Like, dude, I, you, you remember just going through the process because I had to set up everything on our website with you and I had yeah. to go through some of your content. It dawned on me, man, I, need to, I needed to reevaluate all of my systems and I wasted so much time with just editing the podcast. Like I didn't have any proper steps. It was, everything was kind of like chaotic and it wasn't consistent across the board. So now I have like, Asana project and everything from creating an image, description, all that stuff. So anyway, even helped me, not in motion graphics design, but something completely <laughs> unrelated, which goes to show that system, systems are important in everything you do, not just motion design. 
Totally. And, you know, even podcast editing, it's a, it's an art. And I think a lot of times for creative people, a system feels rigid. It feels not very creative. Right. But, uh, I think I'm super not rigid at all. So I found this super freeing because it gave me guardrails. It protected me from some of these common pitfalls that burn out all of our creativity that make us not want to, you know, come back in the office on Monday because you're so burnt out. So these are, are actually guardrails to help people be more creative and and stay energized and refreshed and and continue doing what they love to do. And you know, something else that I wanted to throw in, I lately I've been trying to improve my, my uh, diet and my, just the time management in general. Like I just wanted to see where my time is going. And something that I found valuable is before you put in any kind of system in place is to figure out, like to measure something, like how can you change something if you can't even if you don't know where it's all going. So I have like these trackers where I measure my time and measure my meal intakes or whatever I eat throughout the day. So that way, Mm -hmm. once I have the data, then I can start working on the system, you know, like how can I improve it? So anyway, that's something we're talking about during this conversation, something that popped up in my brain that you can't change something if you don't measure it first. So I guess maybe the first step is for people to start measuring everything, you know, keep track of everything they do so you mm-hmm. have more data to work with and improve. Totally. And I think this is an awesome workflow, but I will admit that maybe somebody out there has something that works better for them. Basically, what I want to do with this is to encourage people to, like you said, evaluate what they're doing, take a step back and also look at their work and like, hey, if what I have is working, then I don't need to change anything. But if something needs change, like what am I doing that's working? What am I doing that's not working? So yeah, definitely. You can't change something if you don't know what you're doing. And I hope this course and even this podcast will serve as a bit of a break for people to like now with coronavirus and stuff, people are in lockdown. Maybe you can take a a moment to just reevaluate what you're doing. Yeah. And like, Hey, is what I'm doing the best, most efficient thing? Is it really helping me achieve all these other things that are important to me, like family time, personal hobbies and stuff like that? Or is my work completely out of control and I'm just going from one fire to another at work? So, uh, for sure, for sure. Now in closing, tell everyone where people can find the course and tell everyone how can people get in touch with you? Yes. Well, you know, uh, com is where the course <laughs> lives. So um, really honored to be a part of that. And, uh, you know, Ucremedia is something that's, that's, that you guys built that it, I feel like has always been about efficiency with Sergey's quick tips and stuff like that. Right. You know, yeah. he saved people a lot of, a lot of time and money. And so uh, I hope this will be uh, a great companion to all the other courses that are out there. And, you can uh, you can find me on the Twitter sphere. I'm uh, at Dimitri Prok, D M I T R I Y P R O K, and I am on Instagram as D underscore Prok. So uh, hit me up. Sounds good. Well, Dimitri, thank you so much for your time, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely, my pleasure, man. All right, hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dmitry Proknevsky. Make sure to check out Dmitry's Learn Motion Design Workflow course at ukremedia.com slash workflow. Again, it's ukremedia.com slash workflow. And as always, don't forget to join our free online mentoring group on Facebook at ukremedia.com slash community. We have well over 4,000 talented motion designers in this group. It is a great place to learn, grow, and network, and it's absolutely free. 
Thank you so much for joining me on the journey of this podcast. I appreciate you and I look forward to serving you in the next episode of Thicker Media Podcast. Bye-bye. 